Thanks for joining us for Life Community Church. Well, this morning we're wrapping up this series that we've been in all fall um, called Encounter, which has been a wonderful series. We're kind of looking at Jesus up close when he's been having these encounters uh, with different people throughout the gospel stories. And in every encounter, he meets people exactly where they are, exactly what they need. And he um, just speaks so directly to people's hearts. And he offers them an invitation for healing or for, uh, to follow him in his kingdom, for life and for love. And so this morning, our story is going to be um, from John 21, which is the last chapter of John. And it comes after Jesus's resurrection. So the resurrected Jesus, he kind of came and went as he pleased, okay? He, when he, before the resurrection, he was constantly with his disciples. But after he resurrected, he was, he was different. He was able to appear and disappear and kind of come and go. And you know what? That's a power I've always wanted, right? Now in the science fiction world, it's like teleportation, right? But that's something I would imagine as a child that I had the power to do. I would sometimes go into this hall closet we have, and I would picture in my mind like where I wanted to go, and then like poof, I would imagine I could be there. Now maybe this came from, if you, like me as a child, I watched, um, well, no, I didn't watch. Wow, I listened to Adventures in Odyssey, which was a Christian uh, radio program for kids. And there is a character in there, John Whitaker, who built this thing called the Imagination Station. And it's this invention that is a time-traveling machine. And basically, you could do exactly what I pretended to do. You could go into this machine, and you could picture the adventure you wanted to have, and it would, and it would take you where, back in time, on that adventure, you would show up, like, dressed and ready to go into that time period. And, uh, yeah, you would be on your way. Now, Jesus, his appearing and reappearing, disappearing, this wasn't just a fictitious superpower. It really was a miraculous transportation because Jesus is God and he has the same divine nature as God, which means that he's all-knowing and he's present everywhere. And so he has this divine nature that can supersede the laws of travel. And... Um, that's how he can be with us even here now. He can be with us at all times. And when we turn and we believe in him and we receive his forgiveness for the brokenness of our lives, he even gives us his spirit in our own being to be with us at all times. And um, that's really the ultimate purpose. All these encounter stories could be wrapped up uh, into this purpose. Right before John 21, this paragraph, it even says, the title is Purpose of the Book. It says, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. 
that's what these encounter stories are here for, that we would be so captured by Jesus that we would turn to him, that we would believe in him, and that we would be filled and filled again and filled again with his life. And so that's what I pray for us this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just illuminate our hearts again this morning as we look at this last encounter story. I pray that you would speak directly to us in our hearts exactly what we need to hear this morning. May your presence be in this place. May we experience your presence and may we feel it and be filled with it. Amen. Now, Peter is going to be one of the main characters in our encounter story this morning. And he's been following Jesus for about three years during Jesus' earthly ministry. And he gives up his profession as a fisherman to follow Jesus. And he learns Jesus' teachings. He even declares that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He has so much faith that he walks on water towards Jesus. And he goes on to teach about the kingdom of God, and he goes on to heal people. Peter is a faithful disciple of Jesus for three years while Jesus is doing his ministry on earth. But the two weeks leading up to this encounter in John 21 are some of the most tragic during Peter's life. So we're going to take a quick glimpse at what has happened in the last two weeks leading up to this encounter. And, and that's found in Mark 14, 27 through 31. On the way, Jesus told them, All of you will desert me, for the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter said to him, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will, Jesus. And Jesus replies, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times that you ever even knew me. And Peter says, no, no, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you, Jesus. And all the other disciples vowed the same. Now Jesus, he's prophetically telling his disciples what's going to transpire as he is arrested and he's brought to trial and then he's crucified. And right after this interaction, Jesus um, goes to a garden to pray, to be spiritually ready for the, the, the whole thing that's about to happen. So he goes to the garden and he's praying so intensely that drops of blood form on his forehead. And he asks his disciples, he asks Peter, would you keep watch for me from the enemies that are you know, approaching at any point? And would you pray with me? And Peter falls asleep. And, God, and, and Jesus asks him again. He falls asleep. And Jesus asks him again. He falls asleep three 
times he fails Jesus. And then the Roman soldiers come and seize Jesus, arrest him, and guess what? Peter flees the scene, right? He follows from a distance, but far enough away to not be in the middle of danger. And he goes to the trial, and he stands outside, and it's night, and so he's standing outside around a fire at a distance from the trial so he can kind of see what's happening. And while he's there warming himself around the fire, people are asking him, hey, weren't you that person, that disciple that was with Jesus? And every time he denies it. And the third time, he actually starts cussing the guy out. And then he hears the rooster crow. And then, bam, those words flash in his mind. And in one gospel account, it actually says that he, he sees Jesus from afar. So he, pe- he peeks into where the trial is happening. And him and Jesus lock eyes. And he knows that Jesus knows. And then it says that he went out and wept bitterly. So this encounter this morning, it's, t- it's, it's happening on the cusps of deep brokenness for Peter. He still loves Jesus, but he messed up. He made choices that hurt him, that hurt Jesus. He failed Jesus. In the time of greatest need for Jesus as his Savior, he failed him. He didn't show up. And he felt very disqualified from that initial calling that, had, that Jesus had given him. Just take that in for a moment. Take in where Peter is at in this moment. Have you ever felt that in your own life? You know, you've experienced failure or disappointment so so much that you didn't know a way forward, especially a way forward with Jesus. So we're going to look at John 21. It says, later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. And then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus said. So Simon went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. 
There are 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. So the disciples, they go back to what they know. After the crucifixion, after all the things, they go back to Galilee. That's where these fishermen were originally from. And the death of their leader, super disorienting, right? All the plans and hopes that they had for um, establishing the kingdom physically, and overthrowing the Roman government, like none of that had happened. They just saw their Savior die a violent death. And so it's disorienting, and they go back to Galilee, and they go back to fishing. But he has risen, and he's appeared to them twice before. This is the third time. He appeared to them when they were all together, and he says, peace be with you. And he shows them the wounds in his hands and in his side, and he shows them that yeah, I was crucified, but now I'm here. I'm resurrected. But it can take us, you and I, a while for Jesus' perfect peace to, to really settle in to our souls, especially when we're disoriented or when we've failed. So fishing is actually the same activity Peter was doing when he first met Jesus. This was one of my fir first sermons in this encounter series, if you remember. They were in Galilee fishing, similar situation all night, hadn't caught any fish, and they're frustrated. And then Jesus, this guy, walks up and tells them to cast on the other side of their boat. And, you know, that's kind of confusing. They're a bit skeptical, but, you know, they'll agree to try his methods. And then miraculously, boom, they haul in this huge load, so much so they have to get another boat. And Peter just comes undone. He says, I, I'm too sinful to be in your presence. And Jesus says, you know, I'm not concerned about that. I want you to follow me. And so he gives Peter a calling to fish for people instead of fish. And he says, I want you to fish for people and show them me. And here we are again at the Sea of Galilee. Peter says, I'm going fishing. And so his brother says, all right, I'll go with you. So they're out there fishing and it's not going well. They haven't caught anything. Very similar situation. And as the sun is breaking over the sea, Jesus miraculously is there on the shore. And he calls out to them, right? And he says, hey, have you had any luck? And they're like, no. And you know, this guy could be a fellow fisherman for all they know, right? They don't recognize him off the shore over there. And so he says to, you know, cast on the other side. And it could just be, you know, this fisherman had better luck and they should try what he's saying. Or there's like that 
faint, mysterious feeling that maybe they've heard this before. Maybe there's, there's like a deja vu situation going on here. And so they, they do it. They cast their net on the other side, and they get a huge return, 153 fish to be exact. Now, if you are, if you like fishing, you are, you know, like, oh, I caught this many fish, and here's the sizes they were, and maybe you kind of fudge on how big they were, but you're proud of your fish, so you know, like, what your catch was. And the disciple whom Jesus loved is John, and John is the person writing this gospel, and he recognizes that it's Jesus, and he calls out, it's Jesus! And Peter is the first one to be like so filled with excitement and anxiety. He throws on his tunic because apparently he kind of fished half naked. And he runs slash swims to shore to get to Jesus. And there Jesus is cooking him breakfast. He's cooked him fish and bread. And he says, come, have some breakfast. This crucified, risen Messiah, he doesn't just march over and chastise his disciples like, why have you gotten off task? What are you wasting your time fishing for? Like, didn't you remember I gave you that call to fish for people? Why did you fail me so deeply? No. He's there cooking them breakfast. And then he says, you know, bring in your miraculous catch. Come over and let, let's cook some more of that fresh fish. And he serves them the fish. You know, when all is broken in our own lives and we find ourselves lost in failure and disappointment, Jesus is not far off. He's not mad. He's not distant. He actually draws near to us if we let him. He's there cooking us breakfast. He's saying, come, eat. Let me care for you. Let me nourish you. Let me love you. Let me restore you. I mean, I think this is just the most breathtaking view of Jesus. Not only because I love food, and food is a way to my heart. Man, if Jesus is cooking me breakfast after I have flunked the test, it's going to be okay. If, if I come to the end of my life, and I've had failures, and this is what I have to present to Jesus, and he's cooking me breakfast, it's okay. You're in the embrace and love of your Savior. Now, the story keeps going. I only read you half of it, actually. So, if we pick up in uh, verse 15, it says, After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. And Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, 
you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Peter loves Jesus, but he also knows like he's failed. And Peter isn't sure what to do about it. He's eating breakfast with Jesus, but there's this elephant in the room, right? He doesn't know how to bridge the gap of his deep heart wound of how he feels disqualified. He feels unfit to be a disciple. He doesn't even know how to bridge this conversation with Jesus. He's just in his presence, eating breakfast, but probably feeling miserable on the inside for what is unspoken between them. But Jesus, he does it for Peter. He bridges the gap of conversation, and he asks Peter, do you love me more than anything? And Peter says, yes. And Jesus repeats it two more times, right? And Jesus says, yes. Or Peter says, yes. Peter says, you know everything, Jesus. You know I love you. But, you know, this is kind of Jesus' way of restoring Peter three times for the three times over that he failed. So three times Peter denied Jesus, and three times Jesus reinstates his calling for Peter's life. And he says, feed my sheep. And he kind of gives him a new calling. So instead of just fishing for people, now he's feeding the people. He's going to teach them. He's going to instruct them. He's going to nurture them spiritually. He's going to show them how to live in the way of Jesus. He says, feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. And he, Jesus restores Peter so beautifully in this account. His failure doesn't disqualify him. In fact, his failure has made a way for Jesus' forgiveness and love to actually be made evident. So now Peter isn't just like pridefully saying, Oh, no, God, no, Jesus, I'm never going to deny you. He's actually just living on grace and saying, I love you, Jesus. Only by your grace can I love you. I love you. <clears throat> what failures have you had in your own life? And what has that experience been like for you? Because a lot of times when we experience failure, how it goes is kind of how we project God to respond, right? So if we've had failure and we were shamed, or we shamed ourselves, we felt guilty, and we felt like dirt, then we're going to think that God thinks that about us as well. So we kind of have to recognize those patterns that we have and reorient ourselves around the truth that we see in this story and say our new belief of who God really is is that he is merciful and he is loving and he seeks to restore and forgive. 
And he's ready to give you a new calling, to give you a new identity and a new assignment for your life. I'm going to finish with a story of failure from my own life. So don't, go, don't worry, I'll go first in humiliating myself for, your, for you. So I was um, a grad student in northern Wisconsin living at Wheaton College's camp up there called Honey Rock. And I was in a program with maybe 10 other grad students. And um, we had an amazing uh, program director, Rick. He was our boss. And he led us through the, like, the practicum part of our program um, and doing ministry, right? He's an amazing leader. We all looked up to him full of wisdom, spiritual grit, and he was like Bear Grylls. He was like every outdoor skill you could imagine. He did it all, survived it all, literally amazing. And so one weekend, he was going out of town, and he asked me if I could go over to his house. He kind of lived off camp a little bit, and if I could feed his dogs. And he, didn't, he wasn't married at the time, and he didn't have kids, so these dogs were his kids. They were, he had three of them, um, golden retrievers, and he had the mom, and he had uh, and then a, a set of siblings, a brother and a sister. And they were the best dogs, and they went everywhere with him. They were like a, an extension of him, right? And I felt honored that I could be the one to go over and feed his dogs and um, hang out with them. So the weekend had come that he was traveling out of town, and we had this huge retreat group come in. And so Friday, I was out all day in the cold doing activities, working with the group, doing all things all night, you know, making fires on the frozen lake, having s'mores, the whole nine yards. And I tuck myself into bed that evening in my apartment, get up the next day, do the same thing. Work all day, work with the retreat group into the evening, come back home, check my phone. Rick says he's coming back in town. How are the dogs? The lifeblood went out of my body. Because guess what? I had forgotten to feed the dogs. I had forgotten to let them out. I had forgotten to feed them. I did not go over to his house at all. I mean, I, I couldn't even move. You know when you can't move, you feel like you're a ghost? I could even feel it now talking about it again. I'm sure you can feel it. You, you just feel like a dead person. Like you have failed somebody so bad you don't know what to do. And honestly, I didn't even know like, how I was going to find the dogs. Like, what have I done? And so eventually, after I could move again, I jumped in my car, booked it down to his place, opened the dog. The dogs are in the basement. I opened the basement, and they, they're okay. They're overjoyed to see me. They're okay. I feed them. I take them out. I clean up what's been there because they've been there for two days. And I decide I have to wait here and confess my failure to Rick when he shows up. And I mean, taking care of the dogs and feeling the relief that 
like they're, they're going to be okay was one hurdle, but then telling my boss of my failure was, was almost more than I could take. So he drives up, and I, I hurry to approach the car, and through like, you know, you can barely get the words out. I'm trembling, crying. I tell him what I have done, that I, I didn't feed his dogs for two days, and I was terrified. And you know how he responded? With mercy, with grace, with love and tenderness. I knew I disappointed him big time, but he forgave me. I, could, I couldn't forgive myself, right? But, but he forgave me. And you know what? He trusted me to take care of his dogs again. No joke, redeeming experience. I, this time I actually dog, I went to his house and like lived, you know, lived there for a few days while he was gone. But I took care of them again and I was able to feel restored as a human. Now, I understand if you do not ask me to pet sit for you because I just gave you a little insight into why my rating as a pet sitter might be a little below par. But here's the thing. In our shame and in our guilt and in our failure, Jesus extends his mercy and his grace. And he reinstates who we are as his people he reinstates our identity, our calling, and really his play, our place in his family. And you know what's radical is that Jesus goes on to tell Peter the kind of death that he's going to die. He tells Peter, you're going to love me so radically in the future that you will actually lay down your life and die for me. Instead of denying me, you're going to go on to love me so radically, you're going to lay down your life for me. You're going to be a martyr. And Peter does historically go on to be crucified upside down like his Savior. And Peter, after hearing that, he kind of has this curiosity, and he says, well, what about the other disciples, Lord? And Jesus says, Peter, don't worry about anybody else. You follow me. You follow me. And Peter does. He goes on to lead the church, build the church, make many followers of Jesus. He's restored. And Jesus is asking us the same question and inviting us to the same thing. Do you love me? Follow me. Do you love me? Follow me. Don't look to the right or the left. Don't compare over here or over there. You, you, do you love me? Follow me. <clears throat> so let's pray. God, thank you just for the lavish ways that you love us in the middle of our mess, in the middle of our failure. Thank you for your unending grace to restore us. God, I pray that we would be able to worship you this morning and really just be able to see you for who you are, exactly how you love us, where we are in the middle of our, our failures and our regrets and disappointments. God, move our hearts to worship you and love you this morning.
And I pray these things in your name. Amen.
At Life Community Church, we want you to experience the powerful, life-changing love of God. To learn more, go to lifemohammed.org. lifemohammed.org.